Good morning. The reading this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. But instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. So today we're talking about uh, another step in discipleship. Uh, Today's step that I've chosen is titled Choosing Honesty. Choosing Honesty. Now, if this was a small classroom, I might say something like, what do you think I'm going to talk about? Because I would imagine that most people, when they hear the word choosing honesty, they're going to think about the Ten Commandments and don't lie and stuff like that, right? Yeah, but I'm going to take it a little different direction. So if you were to be a part of an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, at the very beginning of an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, you would frequently, if not always, hear words like this. Hi, my name is Bob, and I'm an alcoholic. If I were to utter those words, it wouldn't be honest. I have many issues, but alcoholism is not one of them. However, I want to borrow the phrase, because the point I want to make is that statement is brutal honesty. And, in effect, it's a confession concerning who the person is. So let me borrow that phrase and give you my own. Hi. My name is Bob, and I am addicted to self I struggle with self-centeredness. I struggle with self-denial. I struggle with self-deceit. And my only hope in this life is to be honest about my condition. Honest before God, honest with myself, and honest with others. So you can see, I think, the direction I'm taking with the step called choosing honesty. I'm suggesting furthermore that confession, as we often use it in the church, is actually just admitting what is true or being honest. So if it helps you to use the word confession as we walk through this sermon, do it. 
First, I think there are three pathways, at least three pathways, towards discipleship on this topic. The first is honesty with God. I want you to remember with me at the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, shortly after Adam and Eve had tasted the forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve apparently used to walk with God in a kind of fellowship, anthropomorphic sense, walking with God in the cool of the garden. And after taking the forbidden fruit, Adam was in the garden, and it says God was seeking or looking for Adam. And he asked, Adam, where are you? Because Adam was hiding from God. And Adam was honest. I I hid from you. Well, first of all, you, you may have the same question I have. How foolish is it to try to hide from God? Right? If he's all knowing, if he's all seeing, how can you hide from God? Did Adam not know that? Maybe he didn't. Or maybe, like us, he just behaves in a way that's inconsistent with his belief. That's routinely true of us. It's called some form of self-deception. I think a baseline text, it seems to me, at least I want to use this one, for discipleship as honesty between us and God comes from a, a passage that is beloved by many. It's Psalm 139. I actually printed out Psalm 139 in a different translation, the New Living Translation, because I I like the way it read. Listen to these words. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit or when I stand. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all my delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together 
in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life has been recorded in your book. Before it came to be, every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them because they outnumber the grains of the sand and when I awake, you are still with me. That, that's a beautiful but a little bit unnerving passage, isn't it? Skipping a few verses ahead, the psalmist concludes this way. Based on everything he said, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Here's the point. God sees everything. Nothing is hidden from his eye. And even though we are to a certain extent self-aware, we cannot see ourselves. And that's why the psalmist at the end of it all says, search me, O God. I can't even come to a level of self-understanding where I can better myself. I've got to have your searchlight on me. You know me that well. Please, God, since you already know it all, search me. It's an appeal to have God show him his heart. You may remember this phrase, humans look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Comes from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, when, when Samuel was choosing one of the 12 sons of Jesse to be the king. And, and David was the one who seemed less likely to be the king than any of the rest of them. He didn't look like a king. He didn't appear to be a king. He was young. He was a shepherd. And God said to Samuel, no, it's none of those. Those other 11. Everybody else is looking at the outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart. And he chose David. It's, it's difficult to request, like the psalmist did in 139, to search us, right? It's difficult for us to say, God, my heart is open. Please search me. Shine a spotlight on who I am. And why is it so difficult? It's difficult because we fear the truth. We fear the truth. But the only way we will get the truth is to be honest with ourselves and honest with God. So the first step towards honesty is to be honest with God and not try to hide. The second step towards honesty as a spiritual discipline is to be honest with ourselves. At the very start, we ought to declare something. The scriptures make it unequivocally clear that sinless perfection is nonsense. It is nonsense. Or to put it in the words of 1 John 1, 8, 
If you think you have no sin, you are self-deceived and the truth is not in you. But if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So the step number one in terms of honesty with ourselves is to admit who we are, which is sinners. You and I have a tendency towards self-deception. It's deep within our nature. And I will tell you, my friends, I'm not that old. I'm only 61, in case you want to know. 62 June 1st, no birthday cards. Um, (laughs) But I cannot remember in my lifetime more opportunities that have have been given to us as self-centered human beings to promote ourselves than what we have at our fingertips now. Social media is rampant, absolutely rampant with false images of self. We put just the right picture out there. We paint a perfect picture of our wonderful family. How many times do you see on social media confessions and failures and honesty, not very often. What are we doing? Not just for social media, just every day. We're actually creating a false self to avoid our real self. And the result is we are sadly exhausted by pursuing a false self, which will never be us. Because we're not honest with ourselves. We're pretending. You know, unfortunately, the false self is apparent to everybody but us. We're the only ones fooled. Um, We might want to take some advice from the book of James when James says, You need to look at who you are. You need to look at your shortcomings and your sins. Don't be like the person who looks in a mirror and then turns away and forgets what he or her she saw. Don't be like that person. Look at yourself and allow the law of God, he says, to show you who you are. That's the mirror. And don't turn away from it. And here's what I find when I turn to the law of God. It's this, I'm basically not good. Instead, I'm turned inward. I don't mean I'm fully evil. I've got a few good qualities. But I'm turned inward in my nature. And the law of God points that out for me. Another passage that comes to mind is Jeremiah 17, where Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But God sees the hearts and minds of each person. 
So honesty with self is a step in the direction of discipleship when it comes to the principle of honesty. Most of us, don't we, we embrace this sort of universal impulse to pretend that we have it all together, to pretend that we have all the answers. And sometimes it manifests itself as false confidence. Listen, masquerading as faith. False confidence masquerading as faith. Faith is not the complete absence of doubt, my friend. Faith is honestly walking towards God in the darkness with the doubt. That's being honest about ourselves. I, I, I've been to school for many years. Thank God I'm done with that. I just, I'm not going back to school. I promise, dear, I'm never going to go get another degree. <laughs> she went coast to coast with me. But I have to tell you, over all those years, and they were many, and many different kinds of people and professors, one of the things I found most refreshing is when a professor would admit he or she didn't know the answer. Because I had high admiration for that person. I was studying under them to try to understand a subject. And when the question was posed to them and they said, you know, I'm not sure about that. I'll have to think about it and I'll get back with you. That was the most refreshing thing. Being honest with others is a form of confession, and confession is good for our soul and good for the other soul. It is. You know, two of the most refreshing people in the New Testament, at least to me, are the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Thomas. Peter, because he was always bellicose and running in a direction that he thought he was utterly confident about and then blowing it up bad, just messing it up royal, being rebuked over and over again by Jesus because he was running out ahead of his headlights. And then, of course, he was bombastic about how he was going to be with Jesus to the very end, and he denied Jesus in a way that none of the other disciples did so boldly. Peter was just out there. But you know what else he was out there about? His own confession and his honesty. He didn't backtrack and say, oh, I didn't mean it. After all, the scripture is so well known about Peter. Peter probably, this is background information that I can't prove. Peter probably had the ability to edit out some of that in the gospels, even though he didn't write it. Probably Mark, he could have said, Mark, come on. Can you just leave that one out? 
don't make me look so bad, buddy. (laughs) But he didn't. I think he wanted us to know because he was being honest with himself. So choosing honesty means being honest with God. It means being honest with ourselves. And it means being honest with others. So for those of you who have been sitting here wondering when I'm finally going to get around to the text that was read this morning, um, it's right now. It's Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. And I didn't bookmark it, so hang on a minute. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is counseling people in Christian community about how to live together. Verse 14 says this. Here's here's how I want you to be, says Paul. I don't want you to be any longer like infants who are tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Can, can, Can I insert a phrase? Paul is saying, I don't want you to be influenced by your culture, which says, try to be somebody you're not. I don't want you to be influenced by your culture to pretend. That's one of the crafty teachings of our culture. There are many others, but just to focus on that one. Instead, he says, speaking the truth in love. Being honest, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The Apostle Paul, in effect, is saying, be honest with one another. Speak the truth in love. Or, to put it more personally, don't let me get by with it. Hold me to account. How does this happen? It happens when we're in relationship, intimate relationship with one another in the body of Christ. We speak into the life of the other. We tell them what we see. We ask them why. We challenge them to maturity, to change and to growth. I know this comes with problems. I'm I'm fully aware of that. It can be abused. Church abuse is rampant. You know, it's a it's a problem phrase. You all know it. I'm I'm just telling you this because I love you. And what they really want to do is they want to tell you something that's bugging them about the way you are. That that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's saying In love, speak the truth. When you're together, speak the truth and do it in love. Do it in love. 
Because love, as the epistle of Colossians says, binds it all together. What is the, the truth without love? It's like a hammer. What is the truth with love? It's like a surgeon's knife. It heals. It cuts, but it heals. The truth concerning ourselves is uh, not easy to hear. But Paul says the truth concerning ourselves, speaking the truth in love, is what will unify a community. So a few concluding thoughts. From the beginning, Genesis, from the beginning, we learn, don't we, that honesty was difficult then and continues to be difficult today. But what we learn, especially in Paul's words, not just in Ephesians, but many other places, is that the safest place to be honest is before God. Before God. There should be no fear of honesty before God. There should be no fear of condemnation. There should be no fear of judgment. They should, there should be an anticipation of forgiveness. A Catholic theologian, unusual writer, named Richard Rohr, um, made this statement I read a few weeks ago. It was, it, the simplicity of it was stunning to me. He said, God does not love us if we change. God loves us so that we can change. God doesn't say change and I'll love you. He loves us so that we can change. An honest, confessing community is a community that God desires. Here in this place and everywhere around the world. A flurry of passages I want to read for you that speak to this. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander. Along with every form of malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. And from the epistle to the Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with each other and forgiving one another if you have any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. One, one of the signs historically of Revivals and awakenings is always honesty before God and love towards the other. On Wednesday of this week, some of you may have already heard, at Asbury University, um, a 
place where my, my son happens to be a professor, they had their, their regular chapel service. And at that regular chapel service, just routine, the person who was speaking um, spoke from Romans chapter 12 about confession, forgiveness, and God's love. And according to what is being reported, a revival has broken out. From that point on, 24 hours a day, there are students in Hughes Auditorium, which is where they have their chapel, praying and singing and confessing. 24 hours a day. The students are being fed by the cafeteria workers. So, if they wish, they can stay there. Some professors are canceling their classes because it appears that a mighty work of God is being done in the lives of the students. I have no idea who the speaker was, but if you read Christian periodicals and stuff like that, it, it's all over the place now. There's even a reporter from the New York Times that has written about it. I don't know who the speaker was, but I, I know the passage he chose. He chose Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to each one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs each member belongs to the other. We have different gifts. He goes on to give the gifts. And in verse 9, he says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people 
who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of a low position. Do, do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Again, I don't know what the preacher said, but that's what he read. And frankly, folks, it reads like a playbook for the body of Christ. I wonder how we would change if we all embraced this. I wonder what our world would see. I wonder what God would do. Let's pray together. Lord, we are uh, so grateful that you forgave us. And we're grateful that you reminded us of your forgiveness by telling us to forgive others as you've forgiven us. We have the ultimate example, and we, even though we do, we should not fear coming to you and being honest before you. How how could we fear a God who actually stood in our place and took the punishment for the sins that we already know and he already knows and we confess? So, Lord, as as we walk out of this sanctuary and, and move into our week, help us to choose honesty. Honesty with you, honesty with ourselves, and honesty with others. And may the whole thing be wrapped up in love as you search us and know our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.